you have your Bibles, grab them. You can turn to John chapter 8. John 8. Picking back up in John. Took a little break last week for Easter Sunday. John chapter 8. If you have a device, uh, go ESV version if you want to stay with us. All right? Um, this does not have to be the favorite part of the service for y'all, <laughs> as Mark stated. Um, in fact, if you like it too much, I, I might not be preaching, you know, well enough. Um, but I appreciated that. I appreciated that. John chapter 8. So, we, you know, we are in, this, we are in this, uh, this particular journey now with Jesus. And what we've been seeing week after week is that he has just been, he's been in debates and in disputes with religious leaders, with Jewish people that are kind of his critics, his opponents. And they are just not accepting him for who he is. Um, they don't buy all of this talk from Jesus that he is actually the son of God who's come in the flesh uh, to redeem the sins of the world. They're not having it. And so what they want to do is they want to get all micro with him. They want to get down, they want to get granular. They want to get down into the details of the words he says. They want to pick him apart. Um, they want to try to trap him. They want to push him into a corner. Um, they're hoping to take him down. And so we've been seeing a theme of this over the last few weeks as we've been going through John. And we're, we're seeing just, a, again, another just double down, uh, in, in, so to speak, uh, this week as we pick back up in verse 37. And um, I'm going to pick up in verse 37 here, which says, I know this is the, Jesus' critics, they're, they're res responding, they've been responding to some of the words that Jesus says. And where they want to go this week is they want to go lineage. Okay, that's going to be the big thing. They want to go heritage. The big thing in that culture would have been, like it, like it maybe is a little bit with us, is we want to talk about where we came from. We want to talk about the sort of the, the understanding of our lives, the validity of our lives, sometimes the justification of our lives based on who our parents are. And for this culture back in that time, that would have been big to say, hey, um, I am from the offspring of, of Abraham. Therefore, I am part of this covenant community that God created thousands of years before that still exists today. So Jesus, whatever you have to say about what I'm doing and where I'm at and who I am, remember who, remember who my daddy is, right? Like I'm, a, I'm the offspring of Abraham, right? Jesus is going to unpack that. And he's going to say like, cool, what does that have to do with, with your heart? What does that have to do with the motivations of why you do the things you do, why you say the things you do? In fact, he's going to say, you keep saying Abraham's your father, but you don't act like Abraham at the end of the day. This is all lip service kind of stuff. So Jesus picks up in verse 37. He says, look, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So he's, he's getting down into it, right? We pick up with verse 39 here, and we're going to go through verse 59. So as you can buckle up here. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So he's kind of hinting at something here that he's going to get into here in a second. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? 
It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of liars. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets uh, died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Melissa and I will have these conversations. Sometimes we'll talk about some of the, you know, kind of iconic, uh, like spiritual or cultural movements that we, we've lived through in our short 23 years of life together, you know. Um, but there are so many things, right? There's so many things that have happened over the, over the last 50 years, right, that we can think of. Um, I'm reminded of this, you know, this new movie, The Jesus Revolution that's out. And, you know, I was just a little kid when all of that was happening, but, I would, but my parents were a part of that. They came to know the Lord uh, through that. And um, it, was just a, it was just a massive movement that, that happened that really changed the landscape of the country in terms of, of, uh, of revivalism. Um, we remember in the late 80s when the Berlin Wall came down. I mean, it was a massive, I was a teenager, it was a massive event. Um, it's all anybody was talking about. It was on all the news channels. You know, we remember tragic things, you know, in the history of our nation. Most of us today can, or maybe we were just born while it was happening. Or remember when 9-11 happened, it was such a major, major, just a tragedy in the, in the life of our, of our nation and just how it um, just kind of upset the fabric of our, of our culture. And, and um, it was just such a massive event. Those things, they stay with us. We remember those things. And then, of course, there are, there are less uh, important moments, right, that we can be a little more lighthearted about, you know, pop culture moments for us that become, you know, just part of our language. It's kind of how we communicate to each other. It's how we tell stories to each other. One of those sort of iconic pop culture movements was the scene from a movie called The Empire Strikes Back, okay? And uh, you got the main character, a guy named Luke Skywalker, 
Um, I would never name my son that, but uh, that's what he was named. And uh, he's in a lightsaber duel with the enemy, with the ar- his arch ne- nemesis, Darth Vader, right? And uh, at some point, we see this moment in this movie where Darth Vader informs Luke, right after he had just cut Luke's hand off, by the way, uh, in this epic duel that he was, in fact, not just Darth Vader, but he was Luke's father. Now, I mean, that just shook the world. Um, and I was 10 years old when that happened. It shook my world. Um, didn't have a lot going on in my world for that to shake my world, <laughs> apparently. Those are the kinds of things that shakes a 10-year-old world, right? To be honest, my first response would have been a little bit different than Luke, who was like, this is impossible, right? I would have been like, you just cut off my hand, Dad, um, if we're going to be honest here. Uh, that's the first issue I'd like to tackle with you as we unpack our past together, right? Uh, and by the way, if this is a spoiler alert for you, I question everything about you and, and what you've seen and experienced in this world. Um, but the moment was shocking. I, it was emotional for, for moviegoers and mainly Star Wars nerds, you know, and because it let us know something about who Luke really was. It let us know something about Darth Vader and that he was a dad. What? Right? Um, it revealed the truth about something that had been kind of obscured up to that point, which who are these people? Who are they really? You know, it changed everything that would happen afterwards, right? So if you are a person, bringing it back to life, right? If you're a person who has been saved by the gospel, you've been saved by God's wrath. We talked about that last week. By the work of Jesus Christ, what has happened to you is that the truth of who you really are has been illuminated to you and your heart has been transformed from some things. It's been transformed. It's been transformed from either outright hate or dismissal or disinterest for Jesus, or you pick one of those, right? It's been transformed to a love for him and a growing desire to want to obey, love, believe, and please him for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity. Your life has a new framework. You know Jesus and are known by Jesus. That is the most important thing now about your life. It wasn't before. It is now. You have an identity You have a DNA now that exists in you. You know Jesus' heart for you. You know his love for you, his sacrifice for you, his grace, mercy, and forgiveness for you. You know these things and you will know those things more deeply as you grow with him. You're not searching for meaning, right, anymore. You're not wandering through, you know, religious self-improvement fads. You don't have to do that anymore. You've been found by Jesus and the eyes of your heart have been opened. Until this heart change occurred, you you, you lacked any any ability to, to love, obey, or believe Jesus in any kind of authentic way that wasn't literally as the result of motivations that weren't yet transformed. That's the reality of your life, right? So these opponents that we're just reading about, they're doing all this back and forth to Jesus. They're throwing all these petty insults at him. Like if you think that didn't happen back then, we just read that it does, right? Throwing all this, all this shade at him and all this stuff about, well, this is who you really are and this is who you really aren't, right? They, they wanted to continue to debate Jesus and they want to trap him. And it's because they simply don't know Jesus. Because knowing Jesus is characterized by some things. It's characterized by a person who obeys, loves, and believes Jesus with a heart whose motivations have been transformed. 
And so there's a lot of verses here, but that's really the central point of what we're going to look at today. We want to look at these three things that characterize somebody who actually knows Jesus, of whom we don't see with Jesus' critics and and opponents. And those three things are simply this. Um, To know Jesus means you obey him, you love him, and you believe him. And it's so simple. It's like, Ronnie, why don't you just pray so we can go eat? It's like, oh, but I have to do this first because here's the thing. These are simple things for us that are so intrinsic to the life of a Christian that we can feel like or we can, we can do these things in a way that the world can look at it and go, yeah, I think I see that. But then at the same time, if we step back, they're only done in a way that has the most like shallowest portion of our lives exist within them, Right. So we want to look at what it means based on the the debate here that Jesus is having to know Jesus. How is our life characterized by obedience, by love, by belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ? So the first thing we want to look at is obedience, right? One of the first things we see here that should be characterized by somebody who knows Jesus but isn't by Jesus' critics. The Jews were, they're holding up their lineage, right? They got it right there. They're talking about Abraham. They're holding up their lineage to Jesus. They're saying Abraham is our father. They're saying our bloodline is why we are righteous before God. I quit saying these things, Jesus. Do you know who our dad is? It's Abraham. They become defensive because Jesus keeps challenging their heritage. That was a big thing, right? Maybe it's a big thing today for you. Jesus is like, "I, I know You are Abraham's offspring. But if you really had Abraham's, listen, spiritual DNA, you would not be trying to kill me. You would not be opposed to me. You would stop critiquing me, arguing me, plotting my death, right? Abraham would have never done that, is what Jesus points out, right? So my grandpa was obsessed with with genealogy. Um, He worked for years tracing our family history, which for some reason was the least interesting thing in the world to like everybody in my family, right? When you saw saw, uh, pops coming with the big stack of papers that said genealogy on them, it was like, you better have something else to do right now or lie. You know, one of of those things, right? Because it it was, you you were in for it at that point, right? Your family bloodline is important. And and scripture doesn't ever say that it's not, right? Your family bloodline can tell you where you came from. It cannot tell you where you're going, though. It can't, right? These people claimed Abraham as their father, right? This patriarch, this man that God called out of a pagan nation to be the father of the nation that he had chosen uh, to be his people, right? These people claimed Abraham, that's our father. But their lives were not characterized by the ways Abraham actually obeyed God. Jesus says, You actually have a different father, believe it or not. You just don't know it. You have a different spiritual DNA than Abraham. You have a different spiritual bloodline than Abraham, right? Just because you are, just because you are a a branch on the vine of this family heritage doesn't mean you're, doesn't, doesn't justify you. Doesn't mean that you are right with God, right? Like anybody that has had a fruit tree in their yard knows that not all the fruit is good for eating on that tree. You eat the fruit that has stayed on the vine and has ripened to the point that it's flavorful, that it's good to eat. You don't eat the fruit that falls off the vine. It's been stepped on and trampled. It's been eaten by birds and animals. It's still fruit, but it's not good for eating. Just because it was connected to the vine at one time doesn't mean it's automatically 
food for eating. That's what Jesus is trying to point out here. Because one of the fruits of knowing Jesus is obedience. It's obedience. This means that being part of a a church, being born into a church-going family, we talk about this all the time, has no bearing whatsoever on whether you actually know Jesus. Now, that could be the, 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 the catalyst for what God used to bring you into his kingdom. You know, to open your eyes to the, the gospel, the good news of Christ. It could be because you grew up in a Christian family. And if you did, it's a crazy blessing. That could be what he used, but it's not automatic. It's not what justifies you or qualifies you, right? You know, there are people who, there are people who follow bands around the country, right? And they, uh, they attempt to go to, I don't, know, I don't know how they do this, but they attempt to go to like every show on their like nationwide tour, and if you talk to them, and I've talked to some of these people, right, they act, like they, they act like them and the artist are like this, right? They're just, they're best buddies, right? They know, they, they're good friends. Um, they know everything about them. But in reality, they only, they only really know about the artist, you know? They only know the artist's lyrics. Uh, they only know some facts about, you know, the, the artist's personal preference or their lifestyle. Um, but, but they don't really know Taylor Swift, Right? They don't really know Bono. They are just close to the stage where those artists perform. They're just stalkers that we call super fans to be nice. Right? They're really just concert goers that go to too many concerts. These Jewish people, Jesus' critics here, they, they listened to Jesus. They even followed him around to hear his words. But they proved they didn't have a relationship with Jesus because they didn't obey his words that were spoken as the son of God with the same authority as God. The question for us today is, do we know Jesus? It's always the question. And if we know Jesus, do we obey Jesus? Or do we have really sort of this performative driven spirituality where we do things that if the person next to you saw, they'd be like, yeah, I think he's in. I think she's good. But in reality, we don't really have a relationship with Jesus, right? Turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 2. You want to make a hard right, go up two books. Book of Romans chapter 2. Paul, Paul kind of railed against this false religiosity, we'll call it, in Romans 2. And he said, on that day... Romans 2.16, on that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, okay? He said, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You see where he's going there? If that's you, if, it, if that is something that looks like you, feels like you, is how other people might describe you, verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? So what Paul's trying to do there is saying, look, you, you, can, you can even perform some of these things that would point to the fact that you actually obey God's word. But when nobody's looking, do you actually obey 
his word? Because if you really know Jesus, one of the characteristics of your life is that you are someone who is growing in obedience. Doesn't mean you never disobey. Y'all disobeyed God before you got to service today because you're trying to get families out the door and through the doors of the warehouse. There was some sin going on there, right? You don't have to tell me about it. There's something going on there. I have a cat. I sinned before services today. Just saying. I want you to have a pastor that's transparent with you, you know. Some of us struggle with this word obedience, okay? We can be honest about that. Um, it brings back maybe some less than pleasant moments, some memories for you, maybe, maybe with your parents, maybe with some other people um, in authority over you who may have demanded that you obey them in the absence of love and encouragement, right? It was like, it was just follow my rules, obey the law, now go away and do it, right? That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing that you may have experienced in your own life. So when you, when you hear the word obedience and we're talking about it in terms of our, of our life, our transformed life before Jesus, maybe just kind of, it's like, it sticks to you a little bit and you go, ah, that feels, that feels hard. Now I'm getting bad memories about, is it all just about like keeping the rules and obeying the law? Um, but when you come into a relationship with Jesus and you hear this obedience word, what, what we understand about it is that it's different, Right? It's different because Jesus tells us obedience to him is not burdensome. It's different than the people in your life who maybe had sort of a harsh authority over your life. And you, you didn't feel sort of like the, the, the love and the encouragement and the support or even the reason like, hey, by obeying me, I'm actually training you. I'm raising you. I'm doing this out of a love for you. Um, maybe it was something where you just felt like to please this person in order to, to sort of like raise yourself up to their standards so they wouldn't be mad or disappointed. You just had to obey the, the rules. You had to obey the law. But Jesus says something different, right? John tells us in 1 John 5, 3 that his commandments are not burdensome. This is from the one who is described as being gentle and lowly in heart, Right? So, so the Jesus that these critics and opponents keep debating is someone who's saying, look, if you just knew me, if you just knew me and believed me, you would know that what I, my words are the words of God and what I'm asking you to do is not burdensome, but it's, but it's true. Because our obedience to Jesus is, is always framed by God's love for us. That's the difference. That's the qualitative difference when we talk about obedience to God. Our obedience actually produces a gladness in us, right? That is absent when we are only living in obedience to our own will and our own desires. Knowing Jesus is characterized by obedience that is framed in love. Which, by the way, is the second thing we see Jesus point out to his critics here. Is that one of the characteristics of knowing Jesus is, is that you, you love him. You love him. Because these, these critics didn't know Jesus. Because they didn't know him, they, they didn't love him. There was no love there. Without a relationship there, there was no love for Jesus. They wanted to take Jesus down, so they questioned the legitimacy of his birth. We know who our daddy is, Jesus, but who is yours? Because of the way that Jesus came into the world, there was a, obviously a long history there. Of, of, you know, uh, Jesus' earthly parents, Mary, and his earthly father, Joseph, which he obviously shared no biology with. But there was something about that scandal that happened with how Jesus came into the world that just followed him. 
like through his life, all, all these years later, and these critics of his know something about that. And they're basically saying, like, do you, how do you even know who your father is? He's not, they're not getting that he's talking about his, his spiritual father, right? The, his father in heaven. Jesus didn't have an earthly father, right? And so they're, they're misunderstanding where he's going with this. But at the heart of that, at the heart of all those petty takedowns is a lack of love. They're going to any length possible to disprove him, to disarm him, to eliminate his ministry because he threatened their religiosity. He threatened their way of life. He threatened their heritage by saying, that's not what matters most, right? Jesus points out in verse 32 that if God was truly their father like they claimed, they would love him. That would be the result. That would be the fruit of that. They would love him. They wouldn't loathe him. They would love him. If you love God, you will love the one that God has sent because he sent Jesus out of his love for you. The two things cannot be, cannot be torn apart. The two things cannot be teased apart. You can't say, look, I'm all about this God guy, but this Jesus fella, mm, I'm still on the outs with him. Jesus is saying is to love God is to love the one whom he sent is to love his son right? The bottom line is that because these Jews had no love for God in the first place, they were not going to love who God sent to atone for their sins. They didn't buy it. They didn't believe it. To know Jesus is to love Jesus, to grow in all the things that characterize the love for Jesus and for others. Paul makes this really clear in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, look, if I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. He said, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So this means I can do a thousand and one things that on the outside would have the world convinced that I am someone who loves Jesus. That should just bring a measure of sobriety kind of rising up in us this morning. But if I don't have the actual love of Jesus living, breathing, and growing inside of me, what am I gaining? Who am I trying to fool? Who am I impressing? Well, maybe a lot of people. But are those the people that I need in my life in order to justify me? What do all those things say about who I am? Well, they say that I believe I don't need a relationship with Jesus in order to do the things that will look like I love Jesus, obey Jesus, please Jesus, right? So I don't, I don't need, let me frame it like this. I don't need to love my U.S. postal worker in order to send a letter or ship a package. I'm not saying I don't love you if you're a postal worker. I'm just saying to ship a package, I don't need to love you, right? I don't need to love my doctor in order to get medical treatment. I don't need to love the person behind the counter at Jersey Mike's in order to get a delicious number seven turkey with provolone sub. I don't, I don't, I don't need to love him. I just need money, transportation, and a good appetite. That's all I need. A relationship is not required in order for me to complete the transaction. If we treat Jesus the same way, 
it shows we don't have a relationship with him. And that if we just hand over the money, if we just do the deed, that we're good. We get what he gets what he wants. We get what we want. Jesus is saying the fact that you keep going back to Abraham as your father who loved me instead of trusting God, believing my words, believing who God sent, it proves that you don't not only not obey me, but you don't love me either. The third thing is this, is belief. Knowing Jesus is characterized by belief. Now, let's start here. To be clear, Jesus is free of all sin. He's free of all sin, right? And these opponents want to go after the validity of Jesus's perfect life, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Scripture affirms Jesus was sinless. Hebrews 7.26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. So their lack of belief was simply because they were not of God. They were not people who believed that Jesus was the one who God sent. And what do they do? We see it. They throw a bunch of insults at Jesus saying he's a Samaritan. That would have been an insult for them. That he has a demon. It's just all these things, right? And Jesus just keeps answering with greater and greater depth, saying in verse 52, that if anyone keeps his word, he will never taste death, right? He just keeps doubling down saying, if you believe the truth of my words, if you believe I am who I keep saying I am, one of the things that's going to characterize your life is you are going to believe me. And if you believe me, it means that you're not going to taste death. But they could not bear to hear his words, John tells us. They would not believe that Jesus was God. So he comes to this mic drop of a moment in verse 58 that just, it really gives you the chills right? If you read it slowly, it's kind of like the, I am your father scene in the empire strikes back times 2,700 million, right? Again, these were men who were banking on their, you know, their 23 and me connection with Abraham. But Jesus points out that unlike them, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham embraced the promise God had made to someday send a deliverer. Abraham believed that in faith. Abraham believed the words of God, even though the promise would not be fulfilled in his lifetime. It was going to come so many years later, but Abraham believed God. Jesus says Abraham rejoiced to see the day that the Lord was coming in to establish his kingdom. Abraham saw it. He was glad. And the Jews are like, you're not even, it was kind of an insult to me, you're not even 50, right? How on earth have you seen Abraham? Again, they take it so literal. They're still not getting that Jesus is talking spiritually here. Then Jesus just drops a glacier of truth that is, I'm telling you, heavier than the entire weight of the universe. This line, before Abraham was, I am. Right? In that moment, Jesus says, make no mistake, I am God. I am the eternal pre-existent God, the second person of the Trinity who gets to use the same language that God used to describe himself back in the days of Moses because I am equally as God, as God. 
Obviously, the Jews are not thrilled with this answer. They pick up stones to throw at him, which apparently you could do in those days, right? Jesus hides himself. It wasn't his time yet to die. That was not the method and the manner of which he came to die. So he's able to exit the temple to safety. Now, look, belief can be a complex thing. Because when it comes to the Christian faith, listen to me very closely. It's not what you believe as much as who you believe. Let me tease that out a little bit. In other words, it's the who that determines the what. Right? And it has to be. Or else what you believe will be determined by everything else. It will be determined by the culture. It will be determined by your feelings. It will be determined by your circumstances. It will be determined by the news. It will be determined by your response to suffering. It will be determined by whatever allows you to accomplish your goals. It will be determined by whatever helps you make your hopes and dreams come true. Just look at the characteristics of these opponents of Jesus. They thought they were obeying the law. They thought that they actually loved God. They thought that they actually believed God, but they were actually disobeying Jesus who fulfilled the law. And in turn, they didn't love Jesus. They didn't believe his words, which were equal to God. They were lost. Jesus goes so far as to say, look, you're wrong about who you think your father is because it's not Abraham. It's the devil. And this is true because you only believe lies and promote lies, which is one of the characteristics of the father of lies. So it just gets so heavy here, right? It gets so heavy here because Jesus wants to say, hey, look, make no mistake. If you guys want to keep going back to this whole lineage thing with Abraham, this heritage thing with Abraham, let's talk about who your father really is because it is character, your, who your father is, will be, you will be characterized by who he is based on your fruit, based on the fruit of your life, based on the words of your mouth, the motivations of your heart. He's saying they're not for me. Your heart is not for me. So it's a, so it's a very sobering passage for us. So at some point, let me finish with this. If you've been here over the, over the last month at a minimum, you've got to be thinking uh, the theme of knowing Jesus, believing Jesus, loving Jesus, obeying Jesus, it's not coming to an end, right? feels like we're talking about this a lot. And by the way, this series goes through November, right? Um, but here's what I want to know is what is it that the Holy Spirit is trying to press into us by keeping us on this very similar theme week to week through John? Something really important for us to dig into. It must be that we need whatever holes these passages keep exposing in our lives and our theology. It must be that we need those holes exposed. Ashland County is a massively churched area. And no doubt some of you have walked through the doors of substance without a church background. We love that you're here. The majority of you probably come through the doors having had some experience with church, church culture, some kind of church tradition. It doesn't mean all of it or maybe any of it was bad, right? Not all of you stepped into substance church and heard the gospel preached for the first time. Amen. That's awesome. But for some of you, it might be the first time you've ever had the gospel articulated to you week after week, and you're beginning to see how incredibly difficult it's been to undo and unlearn some of maybe the damaging teachings and doctrines that you were taught. That's not all of you. That may be some of you. 
some of those teachings that it's all about church attendance. It's all about living a cleaner life. It's all about eliminating your bad habits. It's all just about thinking more spiritually about your life. It's all about getting involved in a healthy environment. From an outsider's perspective, if those things are true, if, if, if that is what you've been given, if that's what you've been taught, if that's what you've been shaped by, if that is what has framed your life, right? If you're hearing me right now, if those are the things that have shamed, uh, framed your life, from an outsider's perspective, you may have some behaviors that look like you obey, love, and believe Jesus. But until you know Jesus, they are actually coming from a heart with the wrong motivations. Listen to this. Jesus saves you from doing bad things that are harmful to your life. You know the other thing he saves you from? He saves you from doing good things with the wrong motivation. Because both of those things are characterized by a person who has a heart that doesn't know Jesus. My prayer is for a substance church that has the substance of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit living, breathing, and growing inside of us. So that these, I'm going to call them worldly sinkholes of unbelief that we all have would be filled with genuine obedience, love, and belief in Jesus. Who wants you all to be the most free and liberated people in the world. You don't got to go to the weird, negative, political, liberated people definition. Go to, the, go to the place the Bible says about that. Is that you are free from the weight of sin that turns you into a person who becomes encompassed by performative spirituality and religiosity. That's what he has liberated you from. Right? You now know who your father is. You now have a relationship with your father's son, Jesus Christ. You are free from being ruled by bankrupt desires. You are free from being ruled by performance-driven spirituality. You are free from being ruled by back-breaking expectations. You are free from being ruled by anything other than the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Some of you know Jesus but you function as if he's an acquaintance or like a distant relative in your life that you see at holidays on occasion, right? On Sunday, it looks to all the world like you know Jesus, but the rest of the week, functionality-wise, Jesus has the place of like a distant cousin in your life. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like receiving a gift that you never use. You ever gotten something from somebody that you're like, man, that was sweet, but I don't know that I see that thing coming out of the box. It's kind of like receiving a gift that you never use, but when the person who gave you the gift comes over to visit, oh, then you break it out of the box. You put it on the counter. You have the gift, it's yours, but functionally it serves no purpose in your life. Don't let Jesus become this to you. Don't be fooled that if Jesus is this to you, that somehow you may think you know Jesus. 
Because I would be a really false preacher to say, if that's you, you're still good. You're good. Don't let this become you. Get to know Jesus. I don't have anything brilliant at the end here to say other than get to know Jesus more and more. Make it your life to know the Jesus who knows you and loves you so that your life is characterized by obedience, love, and belief. Y'all know that obedience, love, and belief doesn't earn your way to Jesus. It's happened because Jesus has already gotten close to you. And by the way, that place, that characterization, that's where joy is found. That's where joy is found. And this is what you don't see in these people who wanted to claim that they were good with God for all the reasons why Jesus said, those don't make you good with God. The question that we all ask ourselves today as we leave is, do we know Jesus? And if we look deep into sort of the crevices of our lives and we look at our obedience and our love for him and our belief in him, now we're going to see a lot of sinkholes, right? We don't do those things perfectly. You don't believe Jesus perfectly. You're growing in that. You don't love Jesus perfectly. You're growing in that, right? You don't obey him perfectly. That, only I do that, right? Just keep, you guys are yawning a little bit. We're done. Um, but this is where the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ comes in. And you have that. So you have that as the framework around all of your incomplete obedience, love, and belief. So, man, we just fall back into that. We collapse into that, right? That becomes our everything. So I'm going to pray that God would give us that right now because if any of these things are surfacing for you, we want to make sure that we understand that the grace and mercy of God is bringing us and has brought us to a place that we can obey, love, and believe him out of a motivation that he's given us. Let's do that. Lord, we thank you for these words. They're such difficult words. We, we don't want to walk away feeling condemned today, Lord. For those who know you, we want to remember, Lord, that knowing you means that there is going to be some fruit of obedience, love, and belief. And it's going to be inconsistent at times, Lord. But that is, that is because we are still people living in a fallen world um, who still have sin that cloud our lives, that obscure our devotion to you. But Lord, we thank you that there's grace and mercy for that. Lord, if there is someone or somebody or people in this room who have just, in a lot of ways, depended on everything but a relationship with you to be right before God, I pray that you would convict them today. I pray that you would just where I wasn't able to be clear, where I was just talking in too many circles, I pray that you would clear this up for them. Or that you would invade their heart. You would show them they don't have to be fronting and trying and exhausting themselves. They just need to come to you. They just need to see their need for you. They just need their heart changed and transformed. They need their motivations washed clean so that they can be people who are known by you, who know you and serve you, know, out of a obedience, a love, and a belief. Lord, this is the liberating way of the Christian life. And I pray for those who find themselves just enchained by these other things, even people that know you, 
that just feel enslaved and enchained over these things. Lord, you'd give them the opportunity right now to come before you, to come clean before you, or to pray an honest prayer before you, to say, help God, I don't know what to do, but this characterizes me and I, I don't want to be characterized by that. I want to have a real relationship with you. I want to know you. Or give them your grace today. Show them your mercy. And Lord, for the rest of us, let us be a, a light on a hill. Let us, those things that characterize us as your children, let those be a reflector to our community. Lord, let us walk away today with just a greater gratefulness and understanding and joy because of your grace and mercy to us. Lord, we are known by you. We know you. Lord, empower us to live for you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.